Well, thanks for everyone for being here. Brother Michael said we're going to talk about the divinity of, uh, of Jesus, and that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. We've been talking in a series, interrupted briefly by a series on the family, about what Church of Christ people normally call the five-part study. And we've broken that five-part study actually into 12 parts to be talked about from the pulpit. And the purpose of that was hopefully for everybody to have a better understanding, maybe to be better able to talk to their friends and their family and other folks about Jesus and about Christ. And so we talked about the Scriptures, and we talked about the New Testament and the Old Testament, we talked about how the Bible was divided, and we talked about the books of the Bible, and we talked about the history of the Bible and the creation, and Dusty talked to us about the prophets, and uh, Brother Matt talked to us about kind of the joining of the two... uh, the New Testament and the Old Testament last week using Micah and talking about some of the prophecy and John the Baptist and kind of the setting of the stage for Jesus to come along. And this morning we're going to start talking about Jesus, which as everyone knows is a pivot point in history. Jesus came and He died for us, we believe, and that's kind of uh, the, the pivot point of all history. And so when we think about Jesus and we think about Him, there's some misconceptions about Him sometimes, and there's other things that we believe, and we want to talk about those this morning. We're going to talk about Jesus, we're going to talk about later on, we're going to talk about the church, we're going to talk about the kingdom, we're going to talk about salvation. This morning we're talking about Jesus as deity. And when you think about Jesus, we know that He was the Son of God. And we read out of Luke chapter 2 this morning, and we'll get back to that. Thanks to Brother Danny for that this morning. But there's really about three parts or three pieces of Jesus' nature that I want to talk to us about this morning. And the first one is this part or this concept that Jesus is eternal. And I've used the uh, sign for infinity up there. If, you're, if you've uh, studied math, you recognize the eight laid sideways is what I think of it as. That, rec- that represents infinity. That represents forever. That represents eternity in the form of a mathematical symbol. And we think about Jesus and we think about eternity. For us, that's really tough to grasp sometimes. You know, Psalms tells us that, you know, we're going to live about 70 years if we're strong and healthy, maybe 80. And so we get this concept of time in, the, in, the time, in a lifespan, right? We think about time and the time that we're going to be alive, the time of about 80 years. And so for us to think about eternity, sometimes that's a pretty big stretch. That gets us out of our box. That's not our nature, to think about time in the form of eternity. And I'm going to try to stretch us a little bit this morning and think about this eternity because when you think about the fact that Jesus is eternal and that there is eternity, that's a huge piece, that's a huge important concept to us to understand. The Bible says, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." That's John chapter 1. Thirteen verses later, in verse number 14, it says, "...and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth." So the Bible defines with a capital W this proper noun called the Word. And it tells us the Word was God, and it tells us that that Word was made flesh in verse number 14, and that that Word dwelt among us. And we recognize that as Jesus today. He came and He dwelt among us, and He was the Word, and He was in the beginning. He was before time. He was in the beginning. He has been there all along, and He was part of the creation so I got a little, um, I got a little, uh, I guess analogy. I guess is the best way to put this. 
we're going we're gonna to talk about um, the uh, solar system for a minute. And so we got the solar system up here, and we start with Mercury and Venus and Earth and Mars and Jupiter and Saturn. And, and uh, so we get out here to poor Pluto that was a planet but is a planet no more or, or whatever that is. And so we're going to try to fix this problem with Pluto. We're going to make it big enough that everybody will recognize Pluto as a planet again. So we got this little magical bird, this little sparrow. And this little sparrow swim, uh, fly swims. This little sparrow flies into uh, Johnny's sandbox, and Johnny's sitting there playing. He's got a pail full of sand, and he grabs a grain of sand, and he starts flying, and he's magical. He can fly in outer space. Sparrows fly about 20 miles an hour. So he's able to fly past the moon, through the rings of Saturn, all the way out to, your, to uh, Pluto, and he drops off that grain of sand, and he comes back. And he gets another grain of sand out of little Johnny's pail, except little Johnny's long gone because it took him 42,000 years to go out there and come back, so Johnny's long gone. But he grabs the next grain of sand and he goes to Pluto and he comes back. And he just does this for what we would consider a long, long time. A lot longer than 80 years. So he's going back and forth, emptying this pail of sand out of the sandbox. But when you built this sandbox, you were pretty industrious. You wanted little Johnny to have plenty of sand, so you were at the lows, and you got like 200 pounds of sand, and you put it in little Johnny's sandbox. So not only does this sparrow have to empty the little pail, but he's got to empty the sandbox. Then he gets done with the sandbox, he's going to go to the local lake, and he's going to start getting the little grains of sand off of the seashores of the lake. And then he's going to go to the coastline, and finally he's going to go to the Sahara Desert, and he's going to work to get every grain of sand off of the earth to Pluto. Believe it or not, we can do some math on that little example. There are, according to experts, not me, uh, 4 times 10 to the 21 grains of sand. Do you all know your exponents? That's 40 with 21 zeros after it. Grains of sand supposedly on the earth. Right, wrong, or indifferent. It's a big number. We multiply that by 42,000 years round trip. And according to Cali not throwing anybody under the bus. We get 1.68 times 10 to the 26 years to get all the sand off of Earth to Pluto. It's big enough now that somebody goes, hey, that's pretty big out there. We can call it a planet again, I guess. Four or 1.6, and uh, that is 1.6 octillion years according to what I, the research I found. That's a long time. That's a lot longer than 80 years, Right? This magical sparrow spent 1.6 octillion years to get all the sand from Earth to Pluto. Now, the mathematical analysis of that, if we wanted to find out what's the ratio of how long it took that sparrow to get all the sand from Earth to Pluto as it relates to eternity or infinity, what's that relationship? Some of you kids that are in in high school are probably way ahead of us. But that relationship, as I understand mathematics, the relationship of that equation of 1.68 times 1.6 octillion years over infinity... So as a percentage of time, that little sparrow has spent 0%. Because see, eternity lasts forever. Anything divided by infinity is zero. 
because infinity goes on forever. So it doesn't matter how long it took that sparrow. As a relationship to how long eternity is going to last, it, it was zero. It wasn't a speck. It, wasn't even, it didn't even amount to anything. And see, we, we conceive of things, again, as 80 years, and we think of terms in 70 and 80 years. And when I was some of these kids' ages, and I was thinking about grandma and grandpa that were 80 and 90 years old, I was thinking, man, that's a long time. But it's nothing. The Bible tells us our life is but a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. It's 0% in the, uh, in the overall equation of time. Zig Ziglar, a motivational speaker, put it like this, you're going to be dead a whole lot longer than you're going to be alive. So get prepared for that. And so when we think about Jesus and we think about this concept of eternity and we think about the fact that He has been here forever. Uh, Brother Matt read this out of Micah last week. It says, "...whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting." Revelations puts it like this, "...I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty." Alpha and Omega, the Greek alphabet starts with Alpha, it ends with Omega, the beginning and the ending. He is, has always been, and will always be. He is an eternal being. We'll talk a little bit about what that means to us. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and has manifested unto us. First John here, John refers to Jesus as being with the Father and refers to Him as eternal life. Jesus has been here forever. So, one more little uh, little graph on concept here. Sometimes it's easy for us, if we can get out of the mode of thinking about 80 years, it becomes easier for us to think about eternal future. We can look forward pretty easy, and we can see God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the angels and us and mankind and going forward forever. Sometimes it's really hard for us to realize that you know God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus have been there eternal past too they existed before there was this thing that we call time they invented time they invented the heavens and the earth they invented the creation they created it the universe as we now know it is neither eternal past nor eternal future the universe as it's currently constituted will not last forever this world this earth and everything in it's going to burn up So this morning when we think of Jesus and we think about His divine nature, the first thing we want to realize is that Jesus was and is eternal. He's been here forever, will be here forever, and we need to get our lives in order uh, to recognize that. The second thing is that He is our Creator. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. That same same chapter, John chapter 1. It's a beautiful chapter that talks about Jesus and it talks about the beginning and it talks about the relationship. On in verse number 10 and it says, He was in the world and the world was made by Him and the world knew Him not. So He was a and is the Creator of all things. He made you and He made me and He made this earth and He made the universe and He made everything that we know to exist. He made. He is the Creator of all things. For by Him were all things created that are in heavens, 
that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. So Colossians there kind of wraps it all up for us. He's the one that did all of this, and He did it for us and for Him. Hearken unto me, O Jacob and Israel, my my called. I am He. I am the first. I am also the. I am. I also am the last. My hands also hath laid the foundations of the earth, and my right hand hath spanned the heavens. When I called unto them, they stand up together. That's out of Isaiah talking about the fact that He created everything. Now there's some pretty neat creators. You know, you got Michael Dell. He's uh, he, he's uh, created Dell down there in Austin. Sir Isaac Newton, Steve Jobs. Everybody's probably got some eye gadget of some kind. Steve Alexander Graham Bell. We all talk on the phone. Orville and Wilbur Wright invented flight and uh, the airplane. And uh, Henry Ford created the assembly line and some of the first automobiles. And a lot of times we, as a misnomer, think of these guys as creators. Man, they created some cool stuff for us. But they didn't really. They might have invented something. They might have found some things and put them together and invented something. But they didn't speak anything into existence. They didn't create anything. Jesus is the creator. He's the one that made you and me. And so when we start looking to people to fix us, we ought to look to Jesus and what He said. He gave us an owner's manual. He created us. No different than these guys. You know, if you wanted to figure out how to make an assembly line, go to Henry Ford. He's a pretty good expert. If you want to, cre- if you want to figure out how to create a company with cool gadgets, maybe talk to Steve Jobs. If you could, he's dead. But um, Or Alexander Graham Bell. No, no more luck there either. Invented the telephone. But if you want to know how... How we work and, and, and how to fix us. Look at the New Testament examples and look, and look at what Jesus wrote and gave for us and inspired for us to read in the New Testament. We read out of, uh, out of uh, Luke chapter 2. So, so first of all, He is, uh, he is uh, infinite or He is eternal. Second of all, He created everything that we know to exist, including ourselves. The third point is that He is deity or He is God. And we read some of those verses already that kind of proved that. Luke chapter 2 we read this morning. It said from His birth, if you, if you listened uh, very closely to what Brother Danny read, in the middle of that reading there it said that He is Savior... He is Christ, or the Anointed, and He is Lord. That was right there in the middle of Luke chapter 2. It told us very plainly that from His birth, from Luke chapter 2, He was the Savior, the Lord, and the Christ, or the Anointed One. So He is deity. And... um, I just found that picture and I thought it was really pretty, so I thought I'd share it with you. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14 talks about this uh, virgin that was going to give uh, birth and they were going to call the child Emmanuel. Matthew recites that same verse and defines what Emmanuel means. He said, which being interpreted is God with us. Jesus was deity. Jesus was God. The, the Scriptures tell us He thought it not robbery to be called God because He was God. And He came and He died for us. And we need to, we'll need to. we talk about what that should mean to us in just a minute. 
Jesus' deity. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed in the world, received up into glory. The turning point of all history. All history pointed to it. Christ came and He fulfilled it for us going forward. Jesus is deity. A rather lengthy reading out of Hebrews chapter 1, but this uh, chapter, a lot like John chapter 1, gives us a lot of information about Jesus and about time as we know it. It starts off by saying, God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the expressed image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. Being made so much better than the angels, he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So it talks about time and it talks about the way God dealt with us. That God dealt with us in times past by the fathers and then by the prophets. In his last days, the days that we live in, he deals with us through his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Again, kind of tying all of that that we've read to this point together. And he's obtained a more excellent name than they. He goes on to say, For unto which of the angels saith he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall to me to be his uh, shall be to me a son. So he says to the angels, which one of the, does he say to any angels, thou art my son? Or has he said to any angels, uh, I will be to him a father and he shall be, be, be to me a son? A little tongue twister. And again, when I bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But unto the Son he saith, Thou thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A sepulcher of righteousness is the sepulcher of thy kingdom. A couple of things to notice here. Number one, he says he asks this question of the angels. He says, Is any has he ever said to an angel, Thou art my son? He hasn't. He's only said that to Jesus. And this last, uh, this last uh, sentence, Michael pointed this out uh, to me when we were emailing back and forth about this lesson. If you, if you just think about this sentence and you think about what's being said here, it's, really, uh, it's just amazingly cool. Says, so God is talking here. He says, but unto the Son. So God talking to Jesus, He says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Ever A sepulcher of righteousness is the sepulcher of thy kingdom. So Jehovah God, talking to Son, says, You, God, you, Son, my Son, are God. And your, your, your kingdom is forever and ever. A sepulcher of righteousness. That's just chilling to me. It gives me a little goosebumps thinking about it. God talking to Jesus. This Jesus that came to earth, became a man, and died for us. Not only is He eternal, not only was He the guy that created all of this, but He is God. He was God, is God. And He came and He died for us. And His Father recognized Him as God. 
So uh, about 18 months ago, we talked about the holiness of God, and we put up this chart, and we said that Jesus, we said that God in, in Jesus is God, and in every way, He is pure, moral, unique. He is all-knowing, all-powerful. He is everywhere. He rules all. He is immutable or He never changes. He is infantude, faithfulness, love, mercy, righteousness, justice. He is perfect and complete and has infinite abilities in all of these areas. And back to the eternal thing and back to the infinite thing, this is, this is what's important. Because if Jesus had just been a man... And even if He had come to the earth and lived a perfect life, He would have died, He would be in paradise awaiting judgment, no different than any other man, if He could have lived a perfect life. And the Bible tells us that's not a, that's not, that you're just not capable of doing that as a man. But the fact that He was deity, He was God, He had the ability to live that perfect life. And now because He has infinite love, and mercy, and forgiveness, and righteousness. He stretches out an umbrella over all of us that don't have that. That's the difference. That's why He had to be the one to come and die. Because He has infinite capabilities when God looks at Him to cover all of us. So when we think about infinitesimal or whatever, infinitesimalness or whatever that word would be, when we think about the bigness of Jesus, that's what's important. Because without that, you and I wouldn't have forgiveness of sins. Because there's going to be billions of people that He's going to need to cover. Trillions or whatever that number was we talked about a minute ago. There's going to be lots of folks that He had to die for. Lots of sins that He has to protect us from God against. And if He wasn't infinite, if He wasn't eternal, if He wasn't awesome, we would be in a world of hurt. We, we just couldn't make it. That's the difference. And us recognizing that is the big why. So when we think of God, or we think of Jesus as God, we recognize that He is eternal. We recognize that He created us. He understands us. He knows us. And we recognize that He is God Himself and that He died for us. And that He sheds an umbrella over sin and over us, however many people that needs to be, because He is God and deity. He has the power. He is all-powerful to do that for us. So why, or, or what was His mission? Why did He come? And we've talked a little bit about this, but there's four things that I want to, uh, that I want to share with you this morning. Four, four things that because He is all of that, Four things that are important. <clears throat> Number one, His mission. For the, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10. For this is the blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So because of the fact that He is powerful and able, has the power to forgive us and has the power to, to, shed, to put us under that umbrella... He came and He died for us and He came to seek and save the lost and to put them under that umbrella of comfort, that um, umbrella of protection, that umbrella of forgiveness. So because He was God, He came and He's seeking us 
to come and to be saved. So this Jesus that we have been spending all of this time getting to, this is, this is the peace that when you're talking to your friends, when you're talking to your neighbors, when you're talking about this pivot point in history, this is when it starts getting serious about what Jesus has done for them. And when uh, emotions usually start running pretty strong because Jesus was who He is. He is eternal and He is the Creator and He is deity. So mission number one is to seek and to save the lost. Number two, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary, contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Colossians chapter 2. In Hebrews chapter 10, Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. Hebrews chapter 10. So, we talked about earlier, and this is where, again, in your study, if if you've explained properly the Old Testament, the New Testament, this becomes important now because he's taken away the Old Testament. That's what this is talking about. He blotted out these ordinances because we couldn't keep them all. Because Jesus, the, the new law is different. So the, the second thing he did is he blotted out those ordinances. He removed the Old Covenant. Well, that would follow that he's going to do something about this new one, right? So the third thing, but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Hebrews chapter 8. For where there is a for where a testament is, there must also be the necessity and the death of a testator. For a death is a force for a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise is otherwise it is no strength at all while the testator liveth. So he took this Old Testament and he nailed it to the cross. And the third thing he did was he gave us this New Testament to live by. And again, our uh, owner's manual for how we are to live our lives and what, uh, what in, in the story of what he did for us. So he, um, he came to seek and to save the lost and he took the Old Testament and he nailed it to the cross and he put those ordinances out of the way. And the third thing he did was he established this new covenant that we call the New Testament. And the fourth thing that I want to share with you this morning is that he built his church. And I, and I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew chapter 16. Praise God in having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Acts chapter 2, verse number 47. So, he came to seek and to save the lost. He took the Old Testament and he nailed it to the cross. He established a new covenant with us. And that new covenant is the existence of the church that we have today. Now, we're going to talk later on in in coming weeks about the kingdom, and we're going to to talk a lot more about how that kingdom came into existence. And and that's that's a cool study. And that, you know, if you're talking to your friends, that would be something that you could, uh, you could talk to them about that, that's coming up in that study. So he took, he took the Old Testament and he nailed it to the cross and he, he established this new covenant and he talks to us about his church and he establishes this church. Now because he is, back to the umbrella example, because we want to be under that umbrella, that umbrella is the church. 
and you have to gain access into that church. And we're going to talk later on about salvation and what that means. But it talks here about, in its fourth mission is um, building his church. It talks about being baptized and entering into that, entering into that church. And when you think about eternity and you think about what we've talked about this morning and you think about the fact that, as Zig said, you're going to be dead a whole lot longer and you're going to be alive, we need to get focused on the right things. And it's real easy for us to get focused on what's going on in our lives. It's real easy to get focused about sports. It's real easy to get focused on other people. It's real easy to get focused on our jobs, about building a career, about gaining money. It's real easy to get focused on all that stuff that's going on around us because God just seems to be this kind of quasi-spiritual floating cloud of then you can't... And so it's hard for us to stay focused on that. But that's the important piece, and that's the difference maker. You see, if you're over here in the world and you're focused on, that was the parable of the sower, right? That was the thorns. That was the one that sprang up, but the cares of this world were all around, and the thorns are stabbing you and poking you, and and you're all caught up in the world. And your friends are in the world, and everything's going on in the world, and the world is fun, and all of that kind of stuff. And you got to break out of those thorns. And you got to get to the fertile ground. That's the challenge. And because God is deity, and because we're going to be dead a whole lot longer than we're going to be alive, you've got to do that. You've got to get those cares of the world, and you've got to put them in their proper place. And you've got to step out of that thorn patch, and you've got to step on the fertile ground. That's the challenge of humanity. That's the challenge of all of us. It's not easy. Jesus does forgive us when we get all tangled up in those thorns, but we've got to have our mind focused on the right things. We've got to be Christians. We've got to be in the church. We've got to be part of this church that He has built. We've got to be under that umbrella of protection. So this morning, Jesus is Lord. He is eternal. He is the Creator of all things. And He is God. And He wants you to be part. He came seeking and saving the lost. He is the Son of God. He is divine. That's the lesson of the morning. I hope you enjoyed it. As Michael said, or uh, somebody said, no, uh, Matt said in the prayer, he said he hoped that I could bring something to your mind, and I and I hope that through through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit that we did bring something to your mind that changes the way you think. And 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 don't just think about it today. Don't leave you know, man. That was that was pretty cool. And then tomorrow you're right back in the thorns. You know, the challenge is thinking about this stuff and making a life change. That's what repentance is. That's, that's getting away from that other stuff and focusing on the right stuff. So I challenge you to do that. It is a challenge, but that's what your brothers and sisters in Christ are for. That's what the fellowship at Matt's house was for last night. Unfortunately, I couldn't be there. But that's what it's all about. It's about getting together with brothers and sisters in Christ, getting that safety net, loving each other, getting involved in the right things with the right people focused on the right things. That's what the church is about. That's why He established it. And that's why He wants you to be a part of it. If you'd like to be a part of it this morning, come as we stand and sing the song. It's been selected.